like a clown, no, those is all pages Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like a Macy Storytellers, we some fellas, we some felons in the mazes Acapella, bear a salad, cause this shit is so contagious Mouse on the summaries, compile and gather show While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro Keep the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad We get active and haters like a cephalopod You don't like fish talk, do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the tape Greatest five stars if you cherish your life Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Is This Just Bad? Is This Just Bad? The best podcast you never heard of. I'm your host, Professor Miles, joined as always by the same cosmologist. Trash or good? Throwing a flag within the last two minutes of the Super Bowl game. Is it trash or is it good? Trash. Trash every time. Doesn't even matter. As long as the flag isn't... Wait, wait. Let me clarify. As long as the flag isn't for, like, somebody dying on the field... (laughs) Right. I think yeah. it's, you know, there's the whole like let them play mentality. Mm-hmm. And especially in the playoffs, especially when it's like a kind of a ticky tack, you know, if it's not like I just punched you in the head or somebody's leg is broken or, yeah. you know, we just ran into the kicker like those, of course, you mm-hmm. know, so I just took my helmet off and beat you to death with it. Like those things you need to still call flags for. But you're <laughs> all flags. <laughs> <for. laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the the minor kind of pass interference penalties, right, which are always already kind of judgment calls, mm-hmm. I think need to be aired on the side of not getting involved. This is an impossible question to answer. The referees will never do it right. They are in the most thankless position. Um, and it is. I think that what what is for me kind of uh, troubling about all of this is the presumption that the Eagles get the ball and that they score anyway, and that we push it to overtime. Like that's kind of what the discourse was. Sure, last two minutes. That's not a, that's not given. That's not given um, at all. And the other thing that is you know that people are not talking about is. Miles Sanders fumbled the fucking football and the referee gave it back to the Philadelphia Eagles. Like because it happened at a different point of the game, like it doesn't matter somehow. Um, There Mm -hmm. were catches that were actually catches that were ruled, not catches and catches that were uh, ruled catches that weren't like there were so many fuck ups in the game. The fixation on the goddamn flag at the end of the game and the Eagles players, to their credit are, are are kind of on the same wavelength of like there were a lot of things that happened in that 60 minutes of football and that hold which the guy that that was you know charged with the penalty said i did hold him and he did hold him um yeah it, so it was it went on the replay it's the hold that's true took accountability and the other thing that is you know very apparent in that moment is the experience that despite only being 27 years old um, which is not significantly older than like Joe Burrow or Josh Allen, who are 26. Patrick Mahomes, two-time MVP, two-time Super Bowl MVP, two-time champion now, uh, knew it happened, saw it, clocked it, threw the ball in that direction, and then it immediately pointed to the <laughs> to the cornerback and said, ah, that's a hole, we got your ass. Um, that's a savvy football play. Uh, 
but that's some field general maneuvering and that's you know that's part of what you do in order to win those games and it's a very good tactic tactics on his part as ravens fans you cannot support them throwing the flag though because uh we won a super bowl in which jimmy smith absolutely held in the end zone when they were at the goal line and Colin Kaepernick took a shot in the end zone. Uh, Jimmy Smith said, Oh fuck, we're about to win the super bowl. Grab the shit out of the guy. Didn't catch it. No flag Ravens win the super bowl. So, you know, we don't, we don't really have a leg to stand on and neither did Patrick Mahomes that entire game. So <laughs> it was, <laughs> but it, it was a fun game and the whole narrative of it's been tarnished by xyz is is well so- and that's the thing is that it was a really competitive really fun game to watch very exciting you know lots of drama back and forth and it felt just kind of anticlimactic and deflating in the last two minutes to have it be decided on the penalty so even though yes there's a bunch of stuff that happened throughout the games i think it is fair to say you know we'd rather just watch them play it out for the final couple of minutes, it is less dramatic to have it get tied up in the officiating, even though had that call happened anywhere else in the game, we wouldn't care as much. It's just, you know, it's the way, the placement of, of that in the overall narrative, which again, these are not scripted, so <laughs> that happens sometimes. Um, yeah. But it, overall, it was, really, it was a really fun game. Um, yeah, we, we ended up turning off the game at the end being, once it was over, like, well, eh. It just feels kind of... Um, like a lackluster ending, but it's live and unscripted. Right. And so you, you take what you can get. I had a lot of fun watching. I thought it was a fantastic game. Uh, yeah, it was sweet. I don't, I don't have a rooting interest in either team. So it doesn't matter at all who wins that, that game. I like the story or the narrative of Patrick Mahomes and the goat conversation and how far he'll have to climb to cap, to capture Brady and be the, best quarterback of all time but the fact that he's even Hmm. in that conversation it's wild like after that win and after getting the super bowl mvp the regular season mvp and uh the super bowl title the two lombardis he is now eclipsed aaron Rodgers, who has been playing for like two decades Mm -hmm. has eclipsed peyton manning who played for like two decades uh because lest we forget and peyton manning's second super bowl he was like the biggest liability out there it was like a defensive super bowl win um Mm -hmm. and he's moved into the echelon of being like in the conversation for the best quarterback ever with joe montana and tom brady and he's 27 that's yeah that's crazy and he's, I mean, it's just a dynasty out there in Kansas City right now. Um, and it's really impressive. Yeah. So how do you feel? Because there was a conversation happening and, and you know, because our rooting interest is in the Baltimore Ravens. I, I viewed this game largely through the prism of the prism of like what implications could this have for the Ravens? Um, hmm. And <laughs> weirdly, a lot of people did as well. And so Lamar Jackson was trending after the Super Bowl. And it was this like weird lug and chug type of thing where it's like Jalen Hurts run first QB like Lamar. His success in the postseason somehow makes Lamar look better. Therefore, pay Lamar because Jalen Hurts did well in the Super Bowl. 
which like mind fuck where I look at that game and I look at his postseason run and go, there is actually given this, I believe in Lamar Jackson less after watching Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl because I've never seen him make a pass as good as the passes that he made to AJ Brown and Devontae uh, Smith. Like those were fucking incredible like gunslinger type Patrick Mahomesian cat like Patrick Mahomes didn't even throw a fucking pass that good the whole Super Bowl. That 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 mm-hmm. touchdown to AJ Brown in the, at, at the beginning of the game was fucking insane. Um and so it was weird how that sort of discourse started to germinate where it's like run quarterbacks can do it too. It's like actually no Jalen can do it too. Yeah, Jalen is I think the exception to the rule. Right. Um and notably Lamar can't do the things Jalen can do. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not just about and if any, that's so weird to me because you look at okay, you're gonna put them in the same category. What you should be doing is comparing them then and going, oh, these are the sorts of things Lamar would have to be able to accomplish in order to be effective in this kind of role. He can't do that. Right. And he's had a a lot of a lot more chances than Jalen has had so far throughout his career, where he has played uh in multiple postseasons and has been pretty awful in all of them he's one in three in the postseason um has had like comparable performances to tyler huntley pro bowler by the way um, yeah pro bowler tyler huntley it's true bowler, tyler huntley. the pro bowl by the way was so fucking fun this year they played like dodgeball and shit and, and flag football like it didn't matter and uh nobody got hurt which was you know in, in, great the 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 quarterback skills challenge is one of the most fun parts of the NFL season where they're just like hitting targets and there's like uh they have to like throw footballs at drones and shit like <laughs> that shit is really fun to watch. That's very cool. Yeah, and I think that that's a really great way to go with the pro ball that like just abandon any semblance of the football game. Because nobody wants to play that game. Nobody wants to get hurt. So the flag football is fine, I guess. And they're trying to like really promote flag football. There's a whole um, commercial with the uh, the Mexican women's flag football team captain in it during the Super Bowl. Like they're really pushing flag football now as part of like the NFL's larger strategy. But I love all of the like weird challenges. It reminds me of the the games the suitors play uh, when Odysseus comes back to free um, Penelope and Telemachus from um, after his odyssey, like all the weird shit that they're doing. Yeah. 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 They they are just having a bunch of trials and shit. Like they should do like Mm -hmm. archery and shit. And so you can. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. Like who can throw a football through a bunch of hoops. Uh, Yeah. That'd be sweet. Yeah. Um, And they did have, they inaugurated the interesting, uh, I, I I guess it was this. I I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically the dunk contest of the NFL, which is like uh, making flashy catches using trampolines and shit. And it was like That's Steph awesome versus Amon uh, Amon Ross St. Brown from the Detroit Lions, um, and they were yeah like there were like these big mats out, and they had trampolines, and they were jumping. Uh, on trampolines doing a spin in the air catching the ball with one hand type of shit um <laughs> yeah just go full harlem globetrotters with it and yeah. have them do a bunch of weird shit i love it yeah y'all y- y'all are such spectacular athletes and we see you only do it 
in one form. Let's see you do it in a different form, um, which is kind of like what the NBA does with their all-star game, which is like, all right, let's do a game where nobody plays defense until the last two minutes. And let's just have the most amount of fun we can. Um, <laughs> and so the game is like 250 to 249. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, I get puppy ball scores. Yeah. Basically <laughs> fucking puppy ball. Um, Okay, halftime show. That's a big thing. That's a big topic of conversation. I actually asked my students. A lot of them were pretty underwhelmed by the halftime show. Um, really? This, this is a very... Um, I think this is a litmus test for a lot of people uh, whether or not they can pull off the halftime show by themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love The weekend. He couldn't. Granted, he did it in an empty. And he had his whole like, yeah, he did like a whole skit. It was almost like an SNL style. Yeah, you know, yeah. he had his the weird little maze. He looked like a Batman villain. He had he went all out for it. Um, he really and tried. it was yeah. He tried. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so the lack of like surprise guests. Um, people really. I mean, one surprise guest. Yeah, though there's Rihanna's baby. Yeah, Rihanna's baby. People really wanted Drake to come out. Like that was what they thought. That was the surprise, like leading up to it, where it was like, we're pretty <laughs> sure that 50 Cent is gonna be a part of that lineup, but we don't know. That that was also kind of um, according to my students, what kids were chattering about. They're like, Oh, they're gonna come, they're gonna come, she's gonna come out, she's gonna do a whole thing, and then Drake's gonna come out and then they're gonna perform songs together and then he's gonna do practice. Uh and and it's gonna be this like whole big blowout type of thing. Um also interesting. I was terrified when I heard her go into all of the lights that somehow Kanye was gonna show up and I was just yeah. like cringing through the whole like minute and a half of that song. I, I suspect because they plan this shit out a way ahead of time i suspect that he probably was supposed to be out there like that they planned all of this shit out before uh well especially all like the puffy jackets like that's his whole style right right yeah yeah, yeah. you know you could absolutely see yay in one of those giant raincoat things and i'm so glad that he was not involved <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you but you enjoyed it yeah, I did. I thought she was great. I love Rihanna. Um, and I think she can absolutely handle it by herself. Um, I thought the kind of Super Smash Brothers looking stage was very funny and her backup dancers reminded me of uh, you know those videos of uh, big bright white cockatoo birds like dance bouncing up and down to music. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like I mean the the costume design was a little bit silly, but she's great and I mean more power to her for doing this all pregnant and um the thing for me with halftime shows, I agree that on one level, it's like, you know, at this point, it's kind of like movies. So like we have this discussion about the death of the movie star of, you know, every headline movie now has six people in it. Mm -hmm. We've gotten to that point, too, now with um, we just sort of expect a bunch of people. I think Rihanna still has the star power to do it herself. But the setup of these shows is that she went through like 12 songs in 13 minutes or something. Like, nobody just does two or three full songs anymore. It's, you know, she just basically hits the chorus lines of a bunch of different tracks, and that's exhausting to me. You know, it's like she is performing to her own TikTok medley of, like, 30-second clips or something. Right, yeah. And I think that, I, I don't like that. 
Um, I would much prefer that she pick like six songs and do all of them. Um, but that seems to be a, a new uh, pattern in these shows as well, as they will rarely perform an entire song. And that's kind of a bummer. That's just a pattern of live music. I don't know how much R&B or rap concerts you've been to, but that is sort of a pattern in live music. I went to see uh, J. Cole one time and he performed one verse of every one of his songs and did like 28 songs. And it was like, this sucks. I would rather just listen to the music at home. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I saw, yeah. And I remember seeing also Nas and Damian Marley and they did like the choruses to their songs. And then Nas would do a verse from the song and then they would move on to the next song. Um and it also is like, I mean, it it's not worth going to see a lot of those shows. I think the 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 kinds of people you would want to see are the kinds of people, honestly, that they do invite to play the Super Bowl. Like the person who could do the Super Bowl by themselves is Prince. Like Prince, to me, that is like the the epitome of the Super Bowl halftime show when he did mm -hmm. it, and it's fucking pouring outside, and he's out there in stilettos playing several guitars. <laughs> Uh, with backup dancers and six inch stilettos and like just crushing it because it's like this huge spectacle and he has that aura and he went out there and he didn't even play his own music. He played some of his own songs, but he played like Jimi Hendrix. He played the Foo Fighters. It was really weird. Mm -hmm. The Foo Fighters didn't even know it was going to happen. They were just <laughs> watching the Super Bowl at home. They were like, Prince is playing our fucking song better than we do. Um that's the kind of shit that I that I really like. Um, Springsteen, like the big, big sort of arena rock type people who yeah. are used to that kind of show. But even like even like one other person, that's why I think Drake would have been a great choice because like JLo and Shakira, great. Like that mm -hmm. duo, I thought was a that was a pretty good halftime show. Yeah, that was cool. They worked well together. Need one more person. Um, and then it is very like when they did it in, in LA, it was great that they got Snoop and, and, and Dre and all those folks. Um, and they added Eminem and, and, uh, I think Mary, was Mary J. Blige on that? She was. Yep. And 50 cent, um, and Kendrick. And, yeah. Kendrick. And I think that that is necessary because, uh, they, yeah. Uh, rap is a lot harder to like maintain people's interest in. It's a much more sort of like, uh, it's a less spectacular form. Like when we were talking about that particular Super Bowl, it's like, yeah, they're just kind of walking around and just, yeah, they're not really doing anything, swaying back and forth. There's no coordinated dancing or anything like that. Kendrick tried, but it was like, you know, it it it, it kind of didn't mesh with the rest of the show, which was which was weird. Um, but yeah, no, it was funny. I, yeah, when I asked my students, they were kind of like, I thought they were all going to be like. It was great. It was awesome. She was mm -hmm. she was prego. And they were kind of just like, it was kind of meh. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah, they should have like brought Britney in or something. Like she's not super busy. Just you know, for a that would be great. Uh, it, but again, I think, you know, doing six actual songs would have also been nicer, but that they just don't do that shit anymore. Yeah, no, it's uh, live music it, to me has never been worth it unless you go to see like jazz or something. Um, mm -hmm. and, and unless you go to see it and you can also eat 
I think that also helped. <laughs> um, live sure. music has always been very tough for me. There are people who feel like the definite, like the definitive way that you should experience music is live, and I've always felt the definitive way you experience music is uh, personally, just like on your in your headphones or on your speakers. Um, yeah, for me, the live music experience—I haven't had many, but the ones that work have been like, you know, indie bands where they're just like playing through their whole album, like Global Bordello, the punk band. Uh, right. Ukrainian punk band like they'll just like do their whole album basically <laughs> and yeah. they'll do the, the whole song um yeah but yeah it's it's different for for R&B and pop like that yeah and especially like punk like that especially like DC punk where it was like the experience of listening to the album like was sort of like being in a dingy basement where like the analog yep quality sound fucking horrible and <laughs> but like and then you can also like hear the crowd and shit like that in in that case i think that the purest way to experience that is actually to go into that dingy basement um yeah and get beat up in <laughs> just getting like wrecked by the crowd moshing yeah exactly uh, yeah. um that's the the listening to, to your headphones you have to like listen to it too loud and smack your head against the wall at the, right. the same time to get the experience <laughs> Yeah, a, a lot of that like early DC punk is just like sort of un like bad brains. What the fuck are they talking about? Like you can't hear a goddamn thing. It's just ah, ah, ah. it's just so <laughs> it's yeah. just so aggressive. <laughs> it rules. It's really good music, but you I don't understand. I couldn't tell you the lyrics to any bad brain songs. And I've listened to several many times over, and they all just kind of sound like um like some kind of Star Wars creature, like <laughs> yes, yeah, just vibes, right? Yeah, you expect the the blue elephant guy in the background playing the piano. Uh, uh, love that guy. But there's a okay. So uh, there's been some, there were some big you know announcements at at the Super Bowl, a lot of commercials and shit like that. I kind of tuned out for the commercials. Did you have any top commercials besides the one we're going to talk about? Um, yeah, commercials are interesting. I liked the uh, John Hammond Brie Larson, and I liked. Uh, they're oh, advertising okay. mayo. They're stuck in a fridge, and um, what's his name is about to eat them. He did. Um, yeah. yeah. So that worked for me because it bucked the trend of commercials just being celebrity placements. Mm -hmm. So what's happening? You know, it used to be you had like a whole story about the Clydesdale horse, or you had the whole frogs, you know, talking about Budweiser or whatever, and they were little mini narratives, and um. This new trend in commercials, especially Super Bowl commercials, is grab a big name actor who's popular in something else, plug them into this ad to hawk your product. But the whole ad is basically just, hey, you recognize this person, right? They've got name recognition and face recognition, and they're never going to show up again. And there isn't really a narrative built in. The, the ad that frustrated me the most, I think, was T-Mobile's. Um, we tried to make an ad, an ad with Bradley Cooper and his mom, and then it's outtakes of... Right. supposedly outtakes of his Bradley Cooper and his mom goofing around and they're fun um, and they seem like they've got a nice relationship but it is it, they're not the little like mini movies that the best kind of Super Bowl ad can be any longer and so what worked about the Brie Larson and John Hamm thing was one their names are relevant and in fact integral to the setup of the joke Right. And also that it is a little weird, sort of absurd thought experiment story. 
Um, and they're not just there because they have famous faces. Like the um, some beer ad with uh, Brian Cox and um, oh, we're playing, playing golf. Yeah. yeah, it's like he's just there because you know he's the famous like crotchety rich guy on on HBO right now. Yeah, but there's no point or purpose beyond that. It's just like, hey, you like Brian Cox, right? I'm like, well, yes, but huh? So yeah. ads have really kind of fallen apart. There's no reason to use Brian Cox in a medium where he can't curse. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's a very good point. It's interesting, though, because I think it reflects what we're talking about with the, with the Super Bowl halftime shows also, is it's now just like little snippets. It's not a full story. It's not a full song. It's not a full experience. It's just a a, a quick image and a sound clip or a, a sound bite or a, a frame, basically, that you can put on social media. And they've just kind of abdicated their supposed responsibility, like, give me an experience I care about, which sucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and they've 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 been getting progressively worse, which is why I sort of tune out. Like I I know what you're talking about because I saw all those ads in my peripheral, but I didn't pay attention to what was going on in them, and certainly didn't know what they were advertising. I it makes sense that the the Bradley Cooper one was T-Mobile because of all the pink in the in the commercial, but I had no idea until you just said it. What the fuck they were talking about? Um, yeah, no, it, 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 it kind of sucks. And, but one of the things that I think is cool is when they use the Super Bowl as kind of like a hall H announcement. Um, yes. And that is what they did. You remember, oh God, they did this with the Cloverfield paradox. Do you remember this? It was a couple. Oh, of vaguely. Yeah. There was nobody knew this 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 shit was coming out. It was a it was a movie uh, set in space that is like set with within the broader sort of sort of Cloverfield universe, and they cut an amazing trailer together and they played it during the Super Bowl. And it's the first time anybody had fucking heard of this thing. They watched the trailers like, oh, this is fucking awesome, and then it's like available on Netflix after the Super Bowl. And I remember we watched the next day and the movie sucks ass. But like that is <laughs> good. That is such a great marketing tool. Um, you know, if you're willing to put the money up for it, which yeah, Warner Brothers and they, did. Well, and this is interesting because like they'll do that a little bit and like the it's like an ad for maybe it was the it was the Mexican ladies flag football ad where they were teasing it before halftime, like or it was avocados or something. Like there's a guy in a in a suit in a parrot suit, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Who's in the parrot suit?" You have to watch till after halftime. And so there's this like attempt to use the confines of the Super Bowl itself as like an event, oh. um, which is neat. Uh, but what's weird to me, you're totally right about like both the Flash and Guardians of the Galaxy had trailers, mm-hmm. but they're not willing to pay for you know, whatever multi-millions of dollars it would take to play the entire trailer. So they yeah. do the little bits and like whole trailers on line right now, which <laughs> it feels like such a cop out. It is a cop out. And that's what made the Cloverfield one so interesting is because they just played the whole trailer. And yeah. it was like, oh, what the fuck is going on here? Whereas, yeah, they played like a 30 second spot because that should cost a lot of money. And I guess, you know, Warner Brothers is still hemorrhaging cash uh, by the day. Um, but Disney's not even doing it like they could have played the whole Guardians trailer and they just didn't. 
That is true. Um, so there's an interesting, um, there's an interesting sort of, uh, uh, synergy between guardians and the flash, um, or just sort of a common denominator. The cinematographer for both films is the same. Um, so oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So Henry, uh, Brom is this guy's got a banner year good for him well so he's basically just James Gunn's cinematographer I mean he's done cinematography for tons of films but he did Guardians volume uh, 2 Guardians volume 3 and he did the Suicide Squad so he worked with uh, Gunn on his last three movies um, he did oh god he did the cinematography for the Camilla Cabello Cinderella movie which was not great um and upcoming volume three, The Flash, and the Roadhouse remake. <laughs> They're they, really remember they had uh Ronda Rousey attached to star in a Roadhouse remake, and then they nixed uh -huh. it because she lost her fight or whatever. <laughs> and they're like, Yeah, oh, she's not a she's not the Terminator after all. Okay, so this is crazy. The premise of the movie is an ex UFC fighter ends up working at a roadhouse in the Florida keys where things are not as they seem. So it sounds like they kept the original premise and instead of Ronda Rousey, they replaced her with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> huh? That doesn't that, make any sense. Huh? I mean, that movie's going to be sweet because Jake Gyllenhaal's a great actor, but, that's the guy <laughs> he doesn't scream ufc guy to me well he already was in that movie southpaw so he has like some he has he like looks fine in a combat setting i guess um sure but, i mean I'll, I'll i believe it i'll believe he's a good enough actor to pull it off and i'm sure he'll get like jacked and do a bunch of training and you know like oscar isaac for moon knight or whatever but um weird yeah, so weird super fucking weird it's i like, mean it's gonna be much better than ronda rousey cannot act so it's that is unfortunate yeah and she's still weirdly getting a push in wwe and and like is now like in video games too like this is her new sort of career path because she's like yeah, a, i just saw her like crossed over in shadow raid or something yeah, she has like a character and I think she does the voice for them or maybe she did the the the, the design but she's getting kickbacks from that. Yeah, and, and she keeps, you know, doing her WWE thing. According to my friends who watch WWE, which I don't, I only watch certain events every year. Um, she's not improved in any way, really, on the mic. Like she still sounds like fake and forced and artificial and and it's very hard to sort of take her seriously but because she's such a big star she's able to push a lot of folks and so a lot of like people's um i mean god my brother went on this whole thing about uh bianca belair and and like the, all of the people who are kind of getting shafted because of the rousey yeah i mean it's the same part-timer versus the people who are there every day to really Put the work in and get ever get passed over every single time for the big outside star and it sucks because like ronda rousey's legitimately got combat skills and you know i remember watching ronda rousey in the olympics um and that was sweet and she's lost her damn mind uh and isn't an interesting character yeah 
Speaking of uninteresting characters. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, that's a great segue. Let's do it. Pretty, pretty damn good segue. And of- people who've lost their damn minds. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, like not just Ezra Miller, but also like The Flash. Like lest we forget. I would say yes. Anti-Flash podcast. I think that is fair. And and specifically, I want to I want to be very specific about being an anti Barry Allen podcast. Yes. Anti Barry. I got love for Wally West. I I have love for Wally West as well. Anti impulse. We don't love impulse. No, impulse is a little twerp. Yeah. Fuck it. Fuck impulse. Or the flash. Um, And yeah. Yeah. None of that. Uh, But Wally. Sure. Jake Eric. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll even take a. God, what's his name? There's Max. a new one. The guy with the yellow suit. Is that the oh, guy? Oh, there are lots of guys with yellow suits. No, I was thinking about Max Mercury, which was from the 90s. He, oh, uh, yeah. Impulse's mentor. Uh, he was kind of cool. He's like a crotchety old man. Um. Anyway, so, yes. Barry Allen, generally, and with specifically within the world of these movies, is totally unhinged, has lost his damn mind, and, of course, because as Barry Allen is wont to do, going to break the timeline um at least as nuts as ezra miller yes with that said let's let's watch this and chat about uh this this movie that james gunn has been contractually obligated to uh promote yeah well i i think he legitimately likes it yeah there are several things that uh, that that cue me into the idea that he might actually like this movie one Andy Muschietti directed it, and Andy Muschietti is a fantastic director. Um, yes. And it is very shitty for him to be in this position where there's almost certainly not going to be a sequel to this film. <laughs> um, because yeah, I hope that James Gunn keeps him around, because one thing I want you to pay very close attention to, I've seen this trailer a couple of times, um, is colors. And something this is something Andy Muschietti is doing a really nice job of that is has been really lacking in certainly the Snyder films of yeah. interesting, intentional use of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all signifies stuff. And Machete is at the top of his game. And it's a shame that Warner Brothers is on fire and Ezra Miller set fire to themselves um, right. and their whole career. Because it's not Machete's fault. He's making a cool movie. <laughs> yeah, but on that point, um, it, the other reason I think that Gunn is probably very excited about this film is because uh, Muschietti hired his cinematographer who is responsible for all of the color in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 because so he didn't do Volume 1 he did Volume 2 and if you remember there's a marked shift Volume 1 mm-hmm. is like colorful but Volume 2 is like the color palette is off the fucking rocker in that like when they go to Ego's Planet yes. and like that and that is really like uh, something that had been missing from DC. So this guy is just like, you know, uh, he he would put Joel Schumacher to shame. <laughs> the amount of color <laughs> this fucking movie. Right. Uh, For sure. Okay. No, that's a great point. And I'm hoping that we get to. And I th- also, you know, James Gunn has said that he's this movie does what we think it was supposed to do, which is reset things. Right. And so it probably is going to give him both a blank slate and an excuse to do whatever he wants in his next um, brace of films that are coming out. And so we just hope that everybody who survives from this film 
creatively he can pull to put onto other projects the way he's doing with the folks from the HBO shows that are getting canceled. Yeah. Okay, let's watch this. I haven't seen it. Live reaction beginning now. Tell me something. You can go anywhere. Hold on. Let's just talk about the suit. Um, This looks like it is CG. It looks like he's they are wearing a green sock or something. Like doesn't Yeah, I think in the, the yeah, I mean it's you're totally right. The there are other shots where it doesn't light up where it looks like it's probably a physical suit. And I think the problem is rather than doing what they did so well in the boys, where you've got like lights built into a soldier boy's suit and they do a little bit of after effects when he like explodes. Mm-hmm. Um the I would bet you that there's so much post-production to the light up suit that in frames where it's lit up, it's entirely CGI. Yeah. Uh, as, so it's not going to be entirely CGI the entire time because there are other shots where it is not illuminated where it looks better. Okay. Yeah. This still looks terrible. It almost it almost looks like they photoshopped Ezra Miller's head into this like artistic rendering of the suit where yeah, the proportions are sort of flat and it doesn't seem like they're actually there. Um, yep. Weird. They were. Which if you're going to do that, you could have just photoshopped somebody else into the suit. <laughs> and maybe that's, that's the thing you should do. Very, very true. Very true. Another timeline. And, and I mean, it's very he- heavy handed, but um, there's like a ticking clock motif because mm-hmm. this movie is about time <laughs> back and the time is running out for Ezra Miller yeah. so why do you want to stay and fight to save this one uh, this is the world where my mom lives so like the whole motivation behind the fucking flash is so stupid the it, it is it's such a replication of every other DC hero has some kind of fucking issue with their mom. Like this is just like Martha volume seven at this point where. Yeah, it's also deeply selfish. Um, and this is what's frustrating about this is we already saw the worst impulses of this in Endgame. And like one of the things we hate the most about it, Endgame is, OK, so they're going to go back and mess with the timeline, but. Tony Stark gets to keep his daughter. And so he's going to make things way worse for literally everybody else in existence by not just like fixing the entire snap because he wants to keep his daughter. We're never going to see again. And so Barry, I mean, that's part of the point sort of is Barry's um, self-absorption and his obsession with his own trauma makes him unable to see the what's going to happen with the world around him. And it's so funny to think about, I mean, your point about him being a dim reflection and a Martha volume three, as you'll see, his relationship with Batman or Batsmen or Batmans here, I think is there is some intentionality there beyond just people like Batman mm-hmm. of this is a younger Flash who doesn't have as much experience and could use advice from Batman, who has spent his entire life dealing with the trauma of his own parents' death, 
right. but doesn't have superpowers to fix it. it. Just has to like deal or not deal, depending on how think how crazy you think Batman is. So there's an interesting interplay here, and I don't know if they're going to go that deep, but they should right. into Batman has the self awareness to be like this. I can never fix this, but I'm going to keep fighting. And there is a certain sort of then wish fulfillment, but also selfishness. And like Batman is, of course, always paranoid about metahumans having too much power. And here's the embodiment of his wish fulfillment of what if you could go back and save your parents? And it's going to turn out to be, well, Batman was right. You shouldn't try because it's going to fuck up the timeline. So there, there's there's meat there. I just don't know if that's what the, the story they're trying to tell. Well, I mean, this movie was in development hell for a long time. And I mean, we'll we might see hints of this, but I hope that they were able to crib as much of the good stuff that they did in No Way Home as they could. Because I think that the relationships yes. among the relationship among the Spider-Mans in that movie is kind of what needs to happen. Like there needs to be some kind of positive identification with Batman's trauma that allows Barry to let go of the selfishness and reset the timeline or um, realize that in order for things to progress, and this would be sort of a meta commentary on Ezra Miller themselves, um, that the only way for this to progress in any kind of positive way is to snap yourself out of existence. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah that know. would be truly powerful is to understand that they need to make their own sacrifice to mm -hmm. fix everything. Like they've, they've pushed it too far and they just need to like, you know, implode themselves in a wormhole or something to snap things back together, which is again, what I've been asking for the entire time is get Ezra to disintegrate on the cosmic treadmill at the end of this movie to set everything right and we can move, we can all move on. Right. <laughs> okay. Here we go. I'm not going to lose her again. Time has a pattern that it can't help reliving. Okay. I, uh, I, I just need to reiterate. I, I think that all the way back when this was the Wednesday comic book show, uh, my whole orientation and philosophy towards um, time travel is uh, see you later. I don't care. When people start talking about like how this is going to affect the future and shit and how time is a pattern or a loop or a branching paths as they did. Like there's so many ways people talk about time. It's all nonsense. Like just don't talk about it <laughs> because the mm -hmm. more you talk about it, the less sense it makes. It's like Christopher Nolan can't fucking do it. How, what how, you, you can't do it either. Um, yeah. Yeah. This looks kind of like a suit, but uh, still. Yeah. The suit when it's not lit up looks like it might be real. Um, also weirdly, it's not the same house, but the, the house they're using for, for the Allen's home, something about the way it's lit, and shot looks identical to the way it looks in the Flash TV show. And I know that it's like sort of, you know, franchising on purpose, but it's weird to see that and be like, that just looks like the house. I don't think it is the same house, but it'd be funny if it were. And, you know, if Grant Gustin is the unannounced special guest star in this movie, I will be very happy. Well, I mean, he can be. I mean, it's a multiverse. Like, that's the other thing that I hope that they t they 
took from and obviously they did because keaton and affleck i think are in this but we'll see um is that you could put any fucking person you like it's a multiverse you could do whatever the fuck you want like you're not bound well you're bound only by like the limitations imposed by entertainment contracts <laughs> but other than mm -hmm. that you're not bound creatively to anything so grant gustin should absolutely pop in if 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 you know if they'll allow him if they'll Certainly. debate themselves for the television right. star. <laughs> yeah different people different worlds drawn to each other like magnets magnets how do they work uh, so much stuff already just going on that is nonsense to me but that's fine um okay so ezra here's your first color tip yeah is that yeah. so i think what's happening here is we've got an ezra we've got main timeline barry that we know from the previous movies mm -hmm. we've got this other barry that is the result of the f the fix that barry prime tried to do it's entirely possible that means um this fixed barry doesn't have powers initially because it's a world where his mom didn't die. Um, but I think it's very important to look at that this fixed Barry is wearing all yellow. Uh, which means there is a basically 100% chance that this Barry becomes evil by the end of the movie. Uh, reversed, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> you might say the reverse. My face. do my face. Yeah, by the way, okay, fine. Never. If you were to go into the past, you have no idea what the consequences could be. This this is a movie that if Zack Snyder directed it would be seven hours long. Because it is a movie that <laughs> does require slow-mo as like yep. <laughs> sort of like a formalistic component. Um but but if yes, he directed it, it would be all slow-mo from the beginning. You're right. It is really, really fortunate that we never got Zack Snyder to do a solo Flash movie because it would take a million years. <laughs> There's already been so much slow-mo just in this trailer. Bruce, <laughs> mm -hmm. I could fix things. You could also destroy everything. Laying it on thick, but they need to because these movies have been like so confusing to to just like in their own mythology and all like the mm -hmm. weird cuts that have emerged and shit like that, that we we do need that level of clarity. So having Affleck yeah, just set up the rules. Yeah. Exactly. Set up the stakes. And honestly, the farther away we get, the more I have realized how much i like batfleck he's a really good bruce wayne and but this is this is the whole fucking this is my whole problem with Zack snyder is i think that those movies misused him i think that he is yeah totally capable of being and i and i and i hope 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 that james gunn sees this and is able to convince Batfleck it seems like he has a new lease on life with his sobriety to come back and take up the cowl and be in the brave and the bold they still haven't we talked about this um as yeah. a potential opportunity they still haven't announced any casting whatsoever I think Affleck he's and, the right age now 
he's the right age now and an up and coming 15, 16 year old actor. I, it would be so, it would be such a, like a redemption story for Affleck himself. And it would also allow him to be Batman in a movie that doesn't like that plays to his strengths. Because the thing that people forget about Affleck is that he's fucking funny. Like he is, Mm -hmm. he's very charismatic. Like he got his start doing Kevin Smith movies. He transitioned into doing more sort of serious movies because that's that was kind of the thing with his cohort of 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 actors and shit like that. He's like contemporaries with Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon and shit like that. So there was never never a scenario where you would be like a goofy dude um, without being taken like way less seriously, which is why he eventually stops doing Kevin Smith movies and starts like working with auteurs and shit like that. But Affleck can totally pull off like multiple different types of tones. He can add textures and layers to Bruce Wayne that we haven't seen on screen. And because he has all the sort of lived experience and lived trauma that he's recently gone through, he can also add a depth to that character that you do need in order for it to be like a truly um, to embody the tragedy of Bruce Wayne. So I just hope that yeah, he totally agreed. Yeah, he just has to have the opportunity. Somebody just has to give him the opportunity. James Gunn, you can be that person. Completely broke the universe. Sorry. We've been waiting for you. I created a world with no metahumans. And now there's no one to defend us. What? Wait, is this... Do you know who this is? This created a world with no metahumans. This person? Is this Superman? Yeah, so we'll find out by the end of the trailer, but I want you to tell me who you think it is based on what you've read and watched. I I, I think that, well, the only thing that I've read that is any in any way related to this fucking bull, like movie is Flashpoint. And in Flashpoint, mm-hmm. Superman gets trapped in a fucking cave or some shit. And yes, dude. Is... Uh, isn't able to get emaciated and like in a cage the whole time yeah they they are absolutely pulling from that story i mean this is already essentially a flashpoint movie which they really missed a boat here unless it's a like here's the thing with trailers like this there's a bunch of shit in this trailer already and so i'm assuming there aren't all that many like additional surprises Mm -hmm. because the movie's so bloated and complicated already but there's a lot of stuff in Flashpoint that they could be pulling from. And maybe it's just like minor cameos, but, you know, Jason Momoa and uh, Gal Gadot, you know, beheading each other or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, there's that f- war they have, yeah. There's the war that they have. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan uh, coming back as Thomas Wayne, you know, crazy gun-toting alternate Batman. The, there are opportunities here for a lot of weird shit. Mm. Um, so it's heartening to see that they are pulling from that with this imagery of the emaciated caged uh super person mm-hmm. um again we'll see who this is by the end of the film but you're you're right in that this is very much a nod to flashpoint okay um oh and now there's no one to defend us what's well Oh. 
Okay, so we're looking at Michael Keaton in the suit. It is. <laughs> it hasn't gotten any better. <laughs> no, it's so funny. They made such a point of keeping the iconic 89 suit. Yeah. And the 89 suit, lest we forget, is fucking stupid looking. <laughs> he can't it's move. really dumb. He can't move, he can't move for shit. <laughs> no, they're going to have to get him a new suit. <laughs> no, and you'll see. And so let's just play the rest of this because you'll see they've modified it a little bit. But the way that they get him to move is by making him CGI. Like, I don't think uh, Michael uh, Keaton uh, does any stunts in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Here. You are. Yeah. I'm Batman. Sure, sure dude. Oh, yeah. Like, Michael Keaton is basically doing voiceover for a video game. This is the, uh, what, what was it called? The, the Tumblr? The Bat Cycle. It's interesting because we've seen, uh, you're right. When I saw this in, in the trailer, I went, this looks like Chris Nolan's, like, or Christian Bale's bicycle. Mm-hmm. But I think this is probably um, Batfleck. Okay. Yeah, no, it's definitely Batfleck, but this does look like they just cribbed the design. And maybe that was. Yes. Just- and there is some stuff in Batman vs. Superman, like some of the Bat, some of Batfleck's tech looks mm-hmm. a little bit like Chris Nolan stuff. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Chris Nolan technically produced that. Mm, no, yes, he, he I think so. Definitely, yeah, because there's a satellite, there's like a shot of a Wayne Tech satellite in Man of Steel that has the logo from the Chris Nolan movies. Yeah, no, it's weird that technically I think that universe does exist in the Snyderverse. Yeah. Uh... If I can't undo what I did. Wait, was that? Oh, God, I hate trailers like this where they just give you a little. So that's fucking Superman, dude. Just watch the rest of the trailer. If I can't undo what I did. If I can't get back. There might not be a future. I hate all of Ezra's line deliveries. It, oh, look at and that. That's like, this is a sweet shot. This is a very sweet shot. And I, what I love that they've done with Batflex's suit here is given him the blue. Because they're trying to really, really differentiate him from Keaton's bat suit. And so this is like really leaning into the gray and the grays and the blues that Batman sometimes has in the comics. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a like a Neil Adams Batman coloring. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome. It looks really sweet. And so I mean what I'm getting from this is it's gonna be at least it's not just Affleck in a suit, in like a three piece suit chatting in a in a alleyway with Barry Allen, like he's going to get some bad action to do here too, which is in a sweet suit. That's yeah. going to look markedly different. That's cool. This trailer is very dissonant to me because as there's a lot of cool stuff happening and interesting uh, cameos or maybe even more than cameos in this film, they they intercut that with Ezra saying shit and everything that they're saying is fucking whiny and annoying and stupid. And yeah, it's a real shame that Ezra's delivery sucks. <laughs> it just sucks. Like yeah, he's just sucks. even Ezra. Sorry, he Barry talking to Barry. Like you stole my face. Mm-hmm. Like he, this Barry is just the whiniest, most directionless, kind of aimless 
Um, there's nothing heroic specifically about this character. And it's not, it's not even a matter of, well, you know, they're flawed or we're looking at their hero's journey. It's just, it's just a character. It's just a person I don't want to be around. They're annoying. <laughs> yeah. When, when, when Justice League introduced Barry Allen, it was kind of like Joss Whedon's uh, sort of just telling on himself about how much he hates millennials. Where... Yeah, I mean that jo- the Justice League version of of Barry Allen was truly a like hate mail to yeah. millennials. Yeah, like brunch, 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 brunch. <laughs> that that whole shit. And then in Zack Snyder's Justice League, it was more sort of like he he was intended to be kind of a lovable savant type yes. person. Um, which that also and because Ezra didn't pull that off right. It done. didn't play well, but reminding us also that Ezra did that whole press tour with Ray Fisher, and that was supposed to be like buddy comedy. Like that Flash was not really supposed to work in isolation. It was to, to, meant to be teamed up with and playing off of uh, Ray Fisher's cyborg. Right. And in the scenes that they have together in the Snyder Cut, Ezra's palatable because Ray Fisher's pulling them along. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so now we have a characterization of Barry that is different. And it is, it seems to centralize how innocent they are, to put it like generously, without using the word annoying so much. But yeah, there's like a naivete about them. Yeah, but- naivete, but also hopeless and this you know they're going for that kind of obsession and all oh, their hearts in the right place and they're just gonna like fuck up because they don't know any better right but i don't find that compelling no and it, and, and it just there's no consistency across the various characterizations that they have had um which is so funny because they're the only thing that's supposed to be consistent in this whole movie right yeah, yeah, yeah. like they're supposed to be the, the lightning rod around which all of these other variants are going to spin but like who even is barry allen i don't know i don't know who this version of barry allen is because we haven't had very much time with them and they're different every time we see them yes um so weird but yeah batfleck looks awesome what's the play batman what do we do we try not to die Not Clark. My name is Kara. Oh, I'm, I'm cool. Burberry. Barry, what are you doing? Our kids are going to want to see this. Okay. Um, is that the actress? Did they did they announce an actress for the the Supergirl thing that Gunn? They was- did not. No, they did not. And I think that's a really good point because this this Kara got cast ages ago and has obviously been part of this movie. Um, but it would definitely fit with the Gunn's take on it. it's you know, a hardcore Kara whose family has died and has seen horrible things and is more militant than. Um, than the normal Clark we're used to. So 
Mm-hmm. I'm hoping somebody gets something out of this and, you know, this woman's career doesn't go the way of like Leslie Grace and get canceled um, as those projects fall apart. So that that would be my bet right now is that if this movie does well, Gunn will keep her on to be Supergirl again. That yeah. suit's also pretty sweet. It it does seem like it, that, that suit rules. Um, also, the uh, just to, uh, to touch on the characterization, the sort of like um, uh, it, this this is balancing a lot of tomes. Like this is supposed to be a move like an adult movie, but the way that they sort of characterize Barry Allen is to largely, I think, the way that you would characterize a superhero in a show more geared towards kids like they mm-hmm. remind me of um miss marvel they were they remind yeah. me of the teenager who is like obsessed with marvel movies or they remind me of the kid in, in black adam and that is not what barry allen is supposed to be like just like yeah know. i don't have an, a chance for how old barry allen's supposed to be a really good point like this Barry Allen feels like he's about 12 yeah the whole trailer is just them either saying some dumb bullshit nonsense about time or and looking very grave and sullen about their mother or looking at various people and going whoa that is awesome whoa you're Batman whoa you're Superman whoa yeah I don't need yeah exactly and so I just don't know where, and I mean, it's interesting because this this trailer is mostly about showcasing all of the people they've assembled for this movie. Mm. And in that function, Barry Allen is literally only here to narrate and to be the audience stand and to say, whoa, look at these cameos um, and to introduce these people. We don't actually get a sense for what Barry's story is. And again, I don't care in in the abstract, but my hope is that the twist is that second Barry is going to end up being the reverse flash. And that's the end game is the two of them have to kill each other or something. Um, I don't know that Ezra has the range for that. Cause the you know, Ezra's performance in um, the fantastic beast movies as a villain is uh, boring. Um, so I don't know if they can support being both characters. Ezra Miller uh, was plucked out of, a panic at the disco music video. Like that's what their vibe is. Um, Mm -hmm. They, they would have been like colossally famous in like 2003. I think that this type of person, this sort of like emo (laughs) screamo type of like uh, rebellious kid type is just like kind of annoying and obnoxious now. Um, yeah, it's out of fashion. And it I mean it speaks to DC always feeling like they're about 10 years behind the curve. Yeah, honestly, kind of like us. Um the uh, <laughs> uh the actress's name uh Sasha Gaye and she is Colombian and her work before The Flash is The Young and the Restless, a soap opera star. Um Interesting. Nominated she looks for sweet. Daytime Emmy. Uh yeah, so it's so sad this happened. This is she's gonna she's gonna get Ray Fishered. Um, where yeah, they they found Ray Fisher on the stage, they plucked him off the stage and they said, We're here's a six picture deal. You're gonna be cyborg in the DCEU. 
and that just blew up in his fucking face. And he really hasn't done anything since. Um, unless Gunn steps in here and goes, okay, I think that this characterization of Supergirl will flow with what we're working on. And then she'll helm her own movie, which would be crazy. <laughs> um, or is it a TV show? I forget what, what Supergirl is. I think that's a movie. Then, then that would be fucking fantastic for her. It just, I guess, depends on how well people receive her and how like gatekeepy James Gunn is going to be. Here's what I think. Well, and how gatekeepy these fans are going to be because this is really interesting, right? Because it's based on Flashpoint mm -hmm. and it's trying to have it both ways of like, we gave ourselves an out to not have to use Henry Cavill because we've created a world without metahumans. Mm -hmm. And then here's this other world. And I'm assuming like, Kara's probably in the same timeline that Michael Keaton's in. So, you know, he's retired. He, his movies have happened already. In that world, there are no other metahumans that he knows of. Part of the reason for that is the government has locked up the only Kryptonian that showed up on Earth. Um, and, and he, you know, Barry's going to have to pull him out of retirement and save this Kryptonian. And then that thrusts Michael Keaton's Batman into, like, the wider DC world for one final hurrah or whatever. Um, but that unfortunately is going to open this actress up to all kinds of, but she's not Henry Cavill. I'm like, obviously she's not Henry Cavill. It's not what they're trying to do with the movie, but I imagine it's going to be awfully toxic. Yeah. And, but also like, I mean, that hate, that hate shouldn't be directed at anybody, but they also are doing a new Superman. So, and that <laughs> right. definitely not be Henry Cavill. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we didn't make that we didn't talk about, I think we just texted about it was, um, and, and I hope, you know, it, it's hard to put any faith behind these like executives and shit like that. I want to believe that James Gunn and Peter Saffron are, are like stand up dudes who are trying to do right by everybody. Um, and so through that lens, um, Peter Saffron, commented on Batgirl um, and said essentially that if that movie had come out, it would have done horrible things to those people's careers. Um, namely, the two directors who were first-time directors and Leslie Grace, who was helming her first project after making a splash in In the Heights. Um, that movie must have been unwatchable. If we're to take James Saff or Peter Saffron's sort of word for it. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully that will guide their decisions in the future about casting and putting people in positions to succeed and things like that. And hopefully they got a pass at this movie. I'm not sure if they're listed as producers on the Flash film, um, but, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't know. Do you feel like this is going to be a good film? Yeah, I think it'll be okay. Um, I think talk. it's got a lot of... <laughs> that pause was more pregnant well, than Rihanna. <laughs> yeah, truly. Um, the problem is that I think it's got all of the right ingredients. Um, I think it, it could be a really nice kind of melancholy and appropriate send-off to the Snyderverse. I'm fascinated that they brought Zod back um, as a real, like, you know, ghosts of Christmas past or whatever. Uh, to really tie things up. I think that's really clever. 
Um, I think the movie will just be weighed down by the fact that Ezra Miller is not a good actor. And so what's supposed to be the emotional core to take you through this roller coaster is going to end up just being like a weird sightseeing tour of the DC Universe's bad ideas from the last decade because we're going to be stuck with the tour guide of Barry Allen, who this Barry Allen sucks. And then we get two of them. And like the thing I want, the only thing I want less than an Ezra Miller movie is to watch a whole movie of Ezra Miller talking to themselves. That sounds <laughs> awful. That's what we got. So that's fucking horrible. Um, just looking here to see. So this is this is I think this is interesting. So the Flash is uh for like the production team. Um, is the old guard of the DCU. So Walter Hamada is an mm-hmm. producer on The Flash. Um, however, Peter Safran is an executive producer on Shazam Fury of the Gods, which I saw a trailer for be, uh, before uh, going to see M. Night Shyamalan's new movie. Um, that is, I think, interesting and probably very telling on what's going to happen in the future. You know who else is a producer, a listed producer on Shazam Fury of the Gods? Who? Jeff Johns. Dwayne Johnson? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I suspect this will be his last paycheck from... I think you're right. <laughs> um. Okay, so that, I mean, oh God, that took such a long time. Uh, final sort of things. Um. So, oh God, what the fuck was this movie called? I keep saying the wrong thing. Okay, knock at the cabin. Knock at the cabin. I went to see this last night for Valentine's Day. M. Night Shyamalan's new film. Uh, my wife and I are M. Night Shyamalan completion, completionists. Completists? However the fuck you say it. Um, we've talked about M. Night a lot on this podcast. Um, we did an entire uh, series dedicated to his East Rail trilogy. Which included Split or sorry, Unbreakable, then Split, then Glass. Um, his films ever since probably, oh God, when did they start getting really bad? Maybe Lady in the Water have been like critically mixed. Um, he came back onto the scene with The Visit, which was a very small movie that was self-financed that made a bunch of money and was like, oh wait, M. Night can do movies that aren't overcomplicated and silly and stupid. And then he's proceeded to make movies about like a beach that makes you old and like having even <laughs> crazier ideas, really testing the limits of people's patience um, and shit like that. And so his latest offering is a movie called Knock at the Cabin, um, which stars uh, Dave Batista is top built in the film. Love uh, it. Good for Jonathan, him. Jonathan Groff is also in the film. Groff is uh, basically uh, Agent Smith uh, in The Matrix Resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, and was also in, in, in Mindhunter. A guy named Ben Aldridge is in the movie and was absolutely fantastic. And I don't know what the fuck Ben Aldridge is 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 from beyond that. This is the first time I've ever seen him. Um, and so, uh, you know, a really good, strong cast. Uh, Ron Weasley is in it. Um, Rupert <laughs> Grint. And so, here's 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 what I'll I'll tell you as sort of like. Um, what why you might be interested in watching this film because the movie is like most m night movies like very stupid um and 
and and and, and like I remember watching old with my wife and her friend. And at the end, you know, we didn't talk throughout the entire movie. And at the end, simultaneously, they said that movie was awful. And I said, that movie ruled. And I think it is because I have given M. Night the benefit of the doubt. And I have forgiven him some of his most egregious, like filmic sins, which is overwrought, overcomplicated, overly sincere dialogue um because i i i recognize that that is his biggest weakness but that when you're watching a movie the whole experience of feeling sort of just like eerily out of place and in a sort of like a a just a deluge of suspense is mm -hmm what you have to sort of surrender into and just be like, that's what this movie is. It doesn't matter that what they're saying doesn't make any fucking sense. Like that's what this movie is. So that's, you know, part of it is like, I think that this is M night back at his sort of like, you know, good form. Um, the other thing, and I'll have to go a little bit back, but I think that uh, you'll be interested in this point. So we've always often talked about like what wrestlers are the best actors. And mm -hmm. there are three, you know, not including like Roddy Piper and like people who showed up in movies in the eighties and shit like that. Uh, contemporarily, you have John Cena, you have the rock, and you have Batista and the uh, most profitable one of them by far is, is the rock. Uh, then John Cena comes probably in second. And then Batista is, is more sort of a character actor who has helmed various projects before. Um, what we've talked about when it comes to the rock is that the rock has found stasis. He plays the same character in every movie. Now he hasn't really developed any kind of range. It doesn't seem like he is interested in the craft of acting. seems like he is in more interested in creating blockbuster movies and entertaining people, which is totally fine. Right. Uh, but as a result, he's not a very good actor. Then you have John Cena, who I think has higher aspirations. And what we found with John Cena is that um, he is best when his character's sort of central motivations are absurd and when he is able to be comedic in some kind of way. Um, yep. Which is why in the same year he played the main villain in two blockbusters, one of them The Suicide Squad, the other one F9. And in The Suicide Squad, He's fantastic, so much so that they add an extra uh, end credit scene to re re resuscitate him so that he can have an HBO Max series unto himself because he did a fantastic job. That is sort of his lane. He was also in F9 where he was supposed to play a villain straight, and he was really bad. He was totally <laughs> unbelievable in that film. Um, and it, it, it sort of showed his lack of range. Batista is an interesting uh, figure because he has sort of embraced the idea of becoming a legitimate thespian, of becoming an actor, of really practicing his craft, of developing through the proper channels, of taking small roles in big movies mm -hmm. with good directors. And yeah, he's like, you think about uh, Blade Runner 2049. Like he's the best. Yeah. That movie's not good. He for the ten minutes that he's in it, it's like a really good, really sensitive, uh, you know, meditative portrayal of this one little character. 
Mm-hmm. Well, so here's here's what, and we have talked about this, but just to reiterate, what we sort of like had concluded about Batista, um, particularly after I saw Army of the Dead, is that he is very dependent on his director. His director is everything. Somebody who can give him guidance, somebody who can um, make sure that he is in a position to succeed. Um, and James Gunn is one of those people. Um, Denny Villeneuve, who directed Blade Runner 2049, is, for my money, probably the great, the best director of his generation. Um, like, dude in all these fucking movies, Prisoners, Enemy, mm-hmm. like, fantastic. Um, and then in other movies where there aren't uh, great directors or he's doing sort of a new type of thing like my spy my spy is unwatchable and god bless him he tried his best but he, he was really bad in that movie um and army of the dead the Zack snyder movie he was horrible in he he just could not helm that movie and it's you know it's it's, it's it is his fault i mean he did the performance but it's also not his fault because he didn't have the guidance right and he needs so help but here's the juncture right here's the critical juncture M. Night infamously is horrible with actors because he puts them in, in positions to fail because he <laughs> writes awful dialogue when people this is like a George Lucas problem. It is a, absolutely a George Lucas problem. When people have to deliver his nonsense dialogue, they look stupid. And so old has a bunch of great actors and you know they're great like Vicky Crepes and Gail uh, Garcia Bernal, like all these actors, Thomas and McKenzie, um, uh, 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 Alex Wolf, all these actors are really, really good, but they're saying the dumbest shit. And oftentimes that, that really sort of like destabilizes what we know about them. And so I'm coming into this movie and I know Batista's first build and I go, oh shit. Like he didn't work in Army of the Dead arguably M night is worse with actors than Zack Snyder is somehow this is going to be a train wreck. He's amazing in the movie. Wow. It is incredible. I think that that movie has signaled that Batista has moved into a different echelon by himself. He doesn't commingle in the wrestler actor territory. He's just now an actor. And I was blown away because he has to say a bunch of nonsense in that movie. It is <laughs> fucking the, that movie is crazy. Everything that everybody says in that movie is crazy. It's like the way I described it to my wife as we were driving home is like that movie sounds to me like it was written by an AI that like watched <laughs> all of M. Night Shyamalan's movies and then pumped out a fucking script because none of the situations make any sense. And all of like, there's like a queer center at the, at the, there's a queer couple at the center of the movie and all of their experiences seem just like rote, um, uh, vacuous experiences that, um, straight people believe queer people have, or like the way that they respond to things. There's also a religious cult at the center of the movie and the end of the movie, no spoilers is, is just a, just a a, a a a just a re-articulation of like a biblical story like it is a very bizarre strange um arguably bad film but the one thing that we did agree on as we walked out of that movie theater was 
fuck, the acting in that movie was actually really good given what they had to say. Groff is that's John awesome. We should put yeah. yeah. Ben Aldridge is oh, I just it's I was gonna say that um what Batista has signaled to me is that he's ready to be in Star Trek. Sure. Like when you can deliver a really good performance saying total nonsense, like <laughs> now you're ready. <laughs> Space nonsense is different though. Like uh, well, we'll we'll see. Um, but there was an interesting story that I heard about Batista for this role. So he is he's very self conscious about how large he is, and mm-hmm. you know, realizing that that sort of puts him into a a box, it pigeonholes him, um, and so. So he's not a traditional M. Night type of actor. M. Night works with, you know, Sam Jackson types, uh, uh, James McAvoy types. Like he he the way that he sort of mitigates the the lack of, you know, clarity in his writing is he hires really, really, really good actors. Yeah, who can say anything and make you believe it. Like, well, I don't need to, like, make this make sense because they'll make it make sense for me. <laughs> yeah, James McAvoy will deliver the shit out of this. Sarah Paulson will deliver the shit out of this line that doesn't make any fucking sense. And he's, oh, for the most part, he's right. Um, And so uh, it, it's strange that he, he wanted to work with Batista. And according to Batista, he really empowered him. Because Batista was coming off of Guardians of the Galaxy, which he has to be shirtless for those movies. So he exercises a ton and he's very self-conscious about that and wants to sort of like, I mean, he can never slim down mm-hmm. because in addition to being like jacked, he's also like six, six or some shit like that. he's just huge. He's just a huge guy. Um, but he wants to be in more sort of like his dream is to be like in a rom-com or something like that to really like Aww. have. Yeah. All- different genres under his belt that he can do all of this shit um and so he tells that to m night he's like i know i'm big but i'm gonna sl- I, I i can slim down a little bit this is just because i just did guardians blah blah, blah. m night and i applaud him for this goes can you get bigger because i want you to give the most gentle performance of your career at the biggest that you've ever been and he did he absolutely did it is so dissonant, but his character is very gentle in the film. And Batista just fucking crushes it. And it did seem like when I was watching the movie, I'm like, how did they shoot this? Because Batista looks enormous. But like that was like <laughs> a, a, even more so than usual. But that was like a self-conscious decision where they were like, no, let's really play into the dissonance of this character. And it plays out formalistically as well. It was a really interesting experience. I can't say it was a great movie, but I think as somebody who has followed Batista's career, I think you'll like to see him sort of like elevate to this next level. I'm so happy for him. That's so cool. Yeah, that ma- that makes me that's a makes me definitely sells me on the film. It's so funny that you went through a whole like monologue about this film is not good. <laughs> like, yep, so I'm going to watch it. Um, but yeah, very happy for Batista. It's yeah, it's interesting. I read a thing with him talking about how he's had a conversation with James Gunn about he is so self conscious about his size and his you know he didn't want to keep doing the Drax character because it's he's getting into like Hugh Jackman territory of like being exhausted and not wanting to like work out constantly all the time for these roles. Yeah. And in doing so, he's like, look, he basically uh, abdicated Bane. Like he's been he's been shooting to play Bane for years. 
And he's just said, like, I'm too old because you're going to recast everybody young who can be in these movies for for a long time. And, you know, my window has closed on Bane at this point, which is really the mark of a very self-aware actor mm-hmm. because it's not an ego thing. It's like, but it's also like a self-deprecating thing. But like, it's this weird philosopher King moment of he's ready now yeah. to give a character like Bane the depth that it deserves. And he, when he was physically prepared and like the right age to play Bane for 10 years, however long they want the next person to be able to do it for, he wouldn't have been ready. And now that it's too late, he is. And that's sort of tragic, but it also means that he is truly a thoughtful actor and he can go off and do anything he wants. So that's awesome for him. Yeah. 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 No, and it, it was, it, you know, it was really, yeah. Cause you know, I'd seen, I've seen most of his movies and, um, I, and I, I really root for that guy because he, of all of the actors, all the wrestlers to come into the acting space, he's like the most, the biggest underdog essentially. Um, and it always struck me as so bizarre because to me, in my mind, he was by far the best actor out of everybody. And it also just makes me feel like you you do deserve it. You are working at being an actor. Like you want to be an actor. You don't want to be a wrestler turned actor. Like you want to be in movies and you're interested in film and you're interested in building character. You're interested in like and like working with the best people to make yourself better. And that is so fucking like just not the rock like just not Dwayne just pulling like a fucking VFX artist that he can bully (laughs) to direct his movie and so that he can get what he wants out of it which is really really was really fun um okay uh any last things before we go any cool shit you've been doing um just uh, our our Valentine's was rewatching Crimson Peak which I hadn't seen since it came out in theaters this is the Guillermo del Toro gothic horror, and it still slaps. It's still really good. Um, I had not watched Supernatural yet when I watched the film the first time, and so I did not realize that Jim Beaver, who plays Bobby Singer in both people named Bobby Singer in both The Boys and Supernatural, is in this movie um, playing the most dad-shaped dude, and he's great in it. Everybody's great in this movie. Um, manages to like really like um walk the line of my patience for tom hiddleston like he's Mm. he's very we don't have to buy him as like a good person which is really important yeah um and he's great in it uh mia is great in this um jessica chastain is in this and like she's not the best at like helming her own projects but man when she's in something where they can like use her to her fullest potential she like crushes it with the weird like what clearly watch rebecca and a bunch of hitchcock shit to prepare for this and is unhinged performances are great and it's got guillermo del toro's signature like there's stuff in it that is scary looking but it's not scary and like the ghosts are gross but after the first jump scare you're like oh wait they're just characters in the movie and you just treat them and interestingly, the main the main protagonist also treats them essentially as people. And that like 
understanding of treating monsters like people to understand what they need and what they have to say. And Guillermo's, you know, uh, um, un- unbeaten at that kind of portrayal. So the movie's really good and um, totally worth rewatching is on Netflix currently. Uh, Guillermo has just announced that he's doing an adaptation of Frankenstein with Oscar Isaac as Victor Frankenstein and Andrew Garfield as the monster, mm. which sounds bizarre. And I'm very excited to see where they go with that. That's a very. I would have flipped it, and yeah, yeah, that's a very Guillermo thing to do. You know what's interesting about his career is that you look at his filmography, and he's he's sort of touted as a master of horror. And he had horror movies, but they but he doesn't make scary movies. He makes horror movies, like he makes gothic horror films, and I think he has such a deep appreciation for, like the classic Hollywood horror movies, those 30s and 40s movies that we watched and went, did anybody think these were scary? And the answer was no, they didn't really think they were that scary, Um, which is why they kind of stopped making horror movies in the US. Um, And Guillermo does draw a lot of inspiration from those films. His movies are eerie, they're bizarre, they're weird, but they're never scary. I've never been scared watching his films, but they are so interesting. And they're not supposed to be. And that's the thing is he understands that gothic horror is not intended to be jump scare gross out the way um, modern like slasher movies are, you know, your insidious or whatever are are built to be. That's not what what, what gothic horror is about. It's not scary, but it is spooky and it is tense and it is it speaks to deeper sort of fundamental um messed up things about the human psyche and he's brilliant at that and so the crimson peak especially is very self-consciously calling back to nosferatu and dracula and a bunch of other uh 30s and 40s and 20s even horror films with the way it's shot and the way it uses color um so it's it's really really clever and yeah, I'm, I'm excited for everything that he does because it's exactly the the lane of horror that I'm interested in, which is like a bunch of weird shit that is spooky but not frightening. Yeah, that movie too. I mean, that movie is so good, but it's such not a movie that you release in, in movie theaters. Like, had No, and it didn't do well. I remember when it came out, people were like, this isn't scary. It's like, well, yeah, it's not supposed to be. It's not the point. Well, no, it it's marketing. Marketing fucked Guillermo mm-hmm. whole shit like for a long time. They they were always marketing him as a horror director, and he 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 doesn't do horror in any sense. Like he doesn't do any like the splatter horror. He doesn't do slasher horror, and he doesn't even do elevated horror. Like he doesn't he. I don't know that he could pull off like a hereditary type film. He's never no. It's master of suspense. It's really the Hitchcock mode. Like nobody ever called Hitchcock a horror director. He's a suspense filmmaker, and that is different. He's just so hard to market, which is why I think that streaming platforms are better for him because you know they don't rely so heavily on box office turnout and shit like that. Um, I think Pinocchio came out on Netflix and probably will win the Oscar for animated film. and, and yeah, he's just much better served there because it's ho- it's so hard to market his films because how do you market Crimson Peak? It's like, I mean, people in the 40s would love that fucking movie. <laughs> but like, yeah. Yeah. in 2014, 
and it, it and that movie flopped too and that was the moment i think where people were like oh no tom hiddleston is not it um and it is so telling that i'm looking at his filmography and basically since 2017 he's been playing loki that's it yep um it, it it's just like why would you ever hire him like if 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 there are other and the answer is people, for gothic horror because he's perfect as the like sort of sickly looking you know uh you put him in a dracula adaptation or something like put him in a elizabethan drama or whatever like that's what he's there for that's what his face looks like yeah but aren't um, there so many so Guillermo can use him british actors that you would rather watch than tom hiddleston it just seems like yes he is, certainly he is like in 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 that position that chris evans found himself in before he re-embraced his goofiness which is after avengers they were like oh no we don't we don't need you you you're not <laughs> or and then he was like oh no they don't need me but what if i do my like uh not another team movie type thing. Like, what if I, what if I'm goofy again? And then it was like, oh, right, good at that. That's that's a niche that you've carved out. Tom Hiddleston mm -hmm. doesn't except Loki, because <laughs> uh, yeah. you would want any other like British actor his age to be in your movie besides him, which is a shame because he seems like a nice guy. He seems like a nice guy, and he's not bad, but it's just yeah, he's sort of. A replaceable but but Mia Wachowska that's her name was I don't know how to say her last name um is fantastic and uh totally worth uh listen dear listener if you're looking for a crazy double feature to watch Crimson Peak and Stoker back to back uh, she's the lead in both of those and she's fantastic she's in something like that's coming out soon I was I was I was like looking for her because she had a very um she had like a very big run during that period like the Crimson Peak thing was huge and then she played Alice which was huge um and then like yeah her career after that has been pretty fucking bad and it's it's a damn shame in hollywood that's like there's there's only like five spots open at any one time for like the kind of headliner that's in everything and there's stuff that, that you would have cast her in five years ago that Anya Taylor-Joy's in now. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just a matter of time before Anya's like be becomes 30. <laughs> it's like... Right. I... And gets supplanted by somebody else. And that sucks. Yeah. God. Such a bummer. Um, that'll do it for this episode of Is This Just Bad? Stay off social media. Email us at isthisjustbad at gmail.com. Bye. Nice. Is this just bad? Bad? It's like what pirates brought your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with a crowbar till you're woken, hitting Hydra, hailing hairs, had for time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosmic comics culture. Dean is free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse is like we're teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears. Dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple men persuasive speech. Where Randy Savage rattles with their mortal technique. Ooh.